Amen, amen. Well, it's been good to worship with you. You guys can find your seats and uh, let's open our Bibles and we are going to go to the book of Acts. We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can just, uh, our ushers are coming around, just get their attention. They would love to give you one. If you don't own a Bible, just take that one with you. It's our gift to you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Maybe that would be helpful for you. Acts chapter 13, and we are finishing our series today on pursuing the mission. Now, uh, that means that this is final exam time. Y'all ready for this? Anybody ready for the final? Well, let's call it a quiz. That make you feel better? Like, it's not quite as stressful. How many of you are ready for the quiz? Anybody ready for the quiz today? All right, I, I'm so proud. I know some of you, like, stayed up all night studying for this thing. I'm so proud of you. But for those of you who didn't, okay, I'm going to give you a chance to cram a little bit right now, okay? I want to see how many of you can say our mission statement. We've been trying to memorize this, get this down, all right? And so I'm going to help you out just a little bit. Don't, don't, don't put it on the screen just yet. Uh, I, I want to see if you can do it without seeing it, okay? Uh, but I'm going to tell you what it is. This is your last ch second chance to get the cramming in and make sure that you have this down, okay? Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. Now, some of you, I feel like you're ready for this, okay? So here comes the quiz. I am going to set you up, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to let you do it, okay? I'm going to let you do this on your own. I'll bump, you spike it down. You ready for this? Okay. Our mission is to... Oh, well done. I love it. Everybody turn to your neighbor and give him a high five. That was fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm really impressed. Hey, I'm so glad you guys are getting this. We're trying to make sure that we understand what it is that we're trying to do around here as a church. What is it that makes us tick? And our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. That's what we're getting after. Now, how do we do that? How do we uh, uh, get after the mission? Well, we have our six pursuits, and that's what we've been preaching on uh, over the last few weeks, just trying to understand what it is we're trying to do and why we're really trying to do it. These are things that we want to be true of us as a church, characteristics uh, that, that we're not necessarily, we're not saying like we've nailed this, we've got it down, but we're, we're pursuing these things. We're trying to uh, become a church that is committed to these things. First was fervent prayer, that we're going to be, uh, we want to be a praying church. We, we, we just want to be seeking the face of God and asking him to move. And, and then second is bold preaching, that we're, every week, just count on it. We're going to open up our Bibles. We're going to focus on Jesus. We're going to depend on the Holy Spirit here. We want to be more like him. And then, and then passionate worship, which we've, we've just done. It's not just singing, but it's, those, it's that sense of wanting to lift high the name of Jesus and make sure that it's really true on the inside, that we have uh, joyful, submissive hearts to the Lord and, and we worship him. And then uh, purposeful disciple-making where we're, we, we want to help believers who have received Christ learn to walk with Christ. So we want to grow in maturity. And then last week we looked at courageous evangelism because we want those maturing disciples to multiply, which means you're going to have to go out and open up your mouth and talk about Jesus and tell people about what he has done, that he died on the cross for our sins, and he is our only hope of salvation. And so we want to make that message known, which leads to uh, our, our sixth pursuit today, strategic church planting. Strategic church planting. So strategic church planting is really the logical and biblical conclusion in our strategy for carrying out uh, the Great Commission, what God asked us to do. We, we want to make uh, disciples here in Fairfax, but, but the totality of the mission 
and this is why we have that in there, is that we would make disciples of all nations. If we're going to do that, then that means that we're going to need to have uh, local churches all around the world. It requires local churches in, in all nations and in all communities. Now, I'm just going to confess to you that, that um, church planting, I kind of got into the church planting game late and, and a little bit by accident. Okay, this was not something that I had like this vision and I was just all about it. Honestly, it wasn't until after I got involved with church planting that I really began to understand its importance and develop a biblical conviction about it. Some of that might be because of where I grew up. Okay, I've told you before, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in the cornfields of Ohio. Okay, my little town that I grew up in had three traffic lights and like 13 churches. Just let that sit in for a minute. So if somebody was to come along and say, hey, let's start a new church, that would have sounded unnecessary at best. Like, why do we need another church? We've got plenty of churches around here. And, or it might have sounded kind of arrogant. Like, I know we've got a lot of churches. I just don't like yours, so we're going to start our own, right? And so for me, that, 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 it just didn't make sense. It seemed, church planting seemed like a way to go about the Great Commission if you were into that kind of thing, but it didn't really seem like the way that we needed to do this. But, but I want you to think about it. Let's just, I'm, I'm going to throw out a scenario, uh, and, and maybe this will help you understand a little bit of why this is actually strategic and why this actually works, okay? So, so let's just say that you are going out and sharing the gospel, and you lead someone to Christ. You're able to, and, and obviously the Spirit has got to do that work. He's the one that has to draw hearts, and he's the one that changes that. But we get the privilege of telling people this good news about what Jesus has done for us on the cross and that salvation is found in him. Let's just say that you, you had the opportunity to share that, and someone trusted Christ for salvation. Praise God, that's awesome. What's one of the first expectations that you want to give to them so that they can really grow and so that they, they won't be in this alone? Find a church. But what if they don't have a church near them? And what if, what if, you know, there's a church here, but, but it's not really centered on God's word and it's not proclaiming the true gospel. That's a problem. We need to make sure that there are more churches. We need, we need churches. We're not going around uh, courageously evangelizing uh, only to produce a bunch of rogue independent believers in Jesus that are running around kind of left to themselves doing their own thing. We form churches. We plant churches. And so part of my goal is to help uh, us. I want, I want us to grow in this, in, in the conviction about this, and, and then get serious about the strategy on how we're going to do this. So, so let me give you the big idea, and then we're going to jump into our text in, in, in Acts chapter 13. But here's the big idea. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, we have to be a worshiping and sending church that's depending on God to strategically plant churches. Think about it. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, it starts with being a worshiping and sending church, depending on the Lord to help us plant those strategic churches. So, so um, let me show this to you in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, we're only going to read a few verses, uh, but we're going to start right there at verse 1. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, and then he lists them all out. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 
So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Father, I pray that you would really um, work in us so that we would develop a biblical conviction about this. And I confess, I, I, I didn't always understand this, and yet this is the way that we see you working out the mission. The local church was your idea. And it is the vehicle for making disciples so that you would get the glory. And, and what an awesome truth that we have that, that you said that you are going to build your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. So we lean on that promise, knowing also that, that when you sent us out, you said that uh, you are going to be with us always, even to the end of the age. And so, God, we're just leaning on that. And I pray that you would um, see fit to accomplish the mission through us. And we'd be faithful to that. God, I pray that you'd, uh, help us to be a worshiping and sending church that's really depending on you seeing this happen. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me give you three uh, characteristics then uh, of a church that's pursuing strategic church planting, okay? And, and I think we see this. This is the, the church in Antioch is really kind of an example of these characteristics, these, these principles that we see here uh, that, that, that really go for church planting. So here's, here's the first characteristic. We need to be a worshiping church. We need to be a worshiping church. Uh, I, that stands out to me right away. When, when, when you look at this, here is a church that is on fire for Christ. And, and, and let's just get our bearings real quick because this church is in Antioch. Let me put this map up here. I want you to be able to see uh, something to begin with. Uh, notice uh, this is where Antioch is up here at the top, okay? Down here is, this is Jerusalem. This is Israel. Notice Antioch is not in Israel. It's in Syria, what that means is that the church has already extended beyond the borders of Israel. In fact, when we started this series, we were looking at Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus had said, you guys are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's already happening right here. And this church in Antioch actually became uh, really an important and influential church. This is, uh, the Bible tells us this is the first place where Christians were called, or, or, or believers were called Christians. And, and uh, this it actually kind of becomes the main hub for sending missionaries and church planting in the New Testament. And I think it's pretty cool as you look at verse 1, you see this ethnic diversity that's already existent uh, in the leadership there. You see verse 1, there's some, here, here's these prophets and teachers, and some of them we recognize. We, we, we know uh, Barnabas. Uh, he's from Cyprus. We're going to see that in a minute. Uh, but, but then there's a couple other guys we don't know so well. Simeon and Lucius, they're probably from uh, North Africa. And then you got this guy named Manaean. He's got some royal connections and actually may have grown up with, with King Herod. And then you got Saul, who's this Jewish Pharisee from Tarsus. I, I, I just, I love considering how all of these men from different nations and different backgrounds came to be here. And verse 2 says they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. They're a worshiping church. Uh, but that word there uh, for worship is not the normal word uh, that we use for worship. That word is actually only used three times in the New Testament. And normally it means uh, to serve or to really to serve religiously, like a, a priest that would perform sacred duties. He's, you know, he's doing his service in worship. So here are these guys, they're worshiping, but they're doing it through serving. 
And, and, and what's the job? What, 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 what's the work that they're working at here? Well, it's probably what the apostles said that they were going to do back in chapter 6. They said, we're going to devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. I think most likely what's happening here is here are these guys, they're, they're praying and they're preaching. So here in Antioch, we have this, this church that is gathering to worship and their leaders are just sold out to Christ, serving him and his church. And, and, and it's pretty cool when we stop and think about just the drastic change that's happened in one of the guys that we know particularly. His name is Saul, right? We know him better as Paul. But just think about it. Just a few chapters before this, and back in chapter 8, Saul, he had been ravaging the church. It said he was like tearing it apart and throwing people in jail. He hated Jesus, and then he met Christ. And so here he is now serving and building up the church that he had been trying to destroy. And he's got this love for Jesus. He's been changed by the grace and the glory of Christ. That's pretty awesome. And he's leading this church in worship. But, but worship there is not just singing. And that's part of it. But, but, but he's demonstrating, he's, he's being an example of this, that it's a whole life that is completely devoted to Christ and lived out in service to him. What, what, what it means is he's submitting to Jesus as king and he's serving because he loves him. That's the kind of worship that's happening here in this church. And I want to say, I don't think it's any coincidence that it's here in the midst of worship that the Holy Spirit is, is working. It's when their eyes are fixed on Jesus and when, when their ears are attentive, listening to what he has to say. That's when it says the Holy Spirit set, said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've, I have called them. So the Holy Spirit then actually sets aside some, some men for this specific task, and this task is going to spark a movement of churches planted all around the world. You know what this means? It means that God is working in a church that worships him. And I don't, I don't mean by that saying like a, a church that hosts a worship service at, at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I'm saying a church that genuinely loves and wants to see God get the glory with hearts full of joy and submission to him. Because we've seen this, and I think what we're seeing is that's when the Holy Spirit is, is moving them out. So what it means is that worship fuels the mission. Worship fuels the mission. It's our love for Christ and, and, and the, 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 this desire to see him get the glory. That's what compels us to go because we want to see every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's the Savior. He's it. There's no one else. Do you want Jesus to get all the glory that he deserves? Do you want that? Because if you want that, then, then, then watch what happens. Uh, John Piper has said it this way. Many of you have heard this. He says, missions exists because worship doesn't. We, we, we are so captivated by the glory of Christ, and, and we want others to worship him too. And so because we know that there are still other people that don't worship him, we go. So the vertical Worship of our great and glorious God propels the horizontal advancement of the mission. Worship is going to fuel it. Now, let me just speak to you honestly, okay? Um, making no apologies. I want Fairfax Bible Church to plant a church. 
I want to play in church. Actually, I really want us to want to plant a church, to have that hunger and that desire that, that we could be used of God to be a part of something like that. And, and, and I realize we don't have a detailed, uh, specific plan just yet. We don't have a, a, a place picked out. We don't have a, a, a planter, somebody that's willing to say, yeah, like, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm willing to be the one that's sent out. We don't, we don't have all of that yet. And so it might feel like it's a long way off. Like, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe in the distant future, not sure when, not sure how. But, but here's the thing. I think there's only one thing that's going to deepen our conviction into action. And that's worship. It's the most practical thing that we can do right now is to stoke the fire of our heart for the glory of Christ, just a passion that he would be known. Because the more that we are filled with joy when he gets the glory, we won't be able to stick around here anymore. And worshiping, a worshiping church just gets after the mission. Now, I hope that elevates the importance of gathering together on Sunday mornings together. You, you see the, the, the uh, connecting what we're doing right now as we're gathering together and worshiping together. We're connecting that to the mission. This is so important that we do this regularly. Let me give you the second characteristic of a church that's pursuing strategic church planting. Not only do we need to be a worshiping church, but we need to be a dependent church, a, a dependent church. It's, it's, notice it's the, the, the Holy Spirit's the one who is doing the work here. He's the one that's setting aside. He's the one that's calling. He's the one that's sending them out. Really, they're, they're just following the Holy Spirit's lead. He is the one that's doing the work of expanding his church. In fact, the entire book of Acts is really the story of the Holy Spirit and his power working in and through the church to advance the gospel and the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit's the one who's doing all this. Nothing happens until he shows up. In fact, Jesus actually told them, he said he, he wanted to commission his disciples to go out from the city of Jerusalem and go out and make disciples of all nations. Get going, I want you to get out there. But at the end of Luke chapter 24, here's what he said. He said, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Basically, he said, listen, listen, I want you to go, but don't go anywhere just yet. I want you to stay right here, and I want you to wait because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You're going to need his power. You're not doing any of this without him. And so here they are. They're, verse 2, they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, and then after the Holy Spirit sets Barnabas and Saul apart for this mission trip that they're supposed to go on, verse 3, it's, here they are again, verse 3, they're fasting and praying, praying and fasting, fasting and praying. We see prayer and fasting really go together, okay? Prayer and fasting really go together. I know one is a little bit more familiar to us than the other, so let's just talk about fasting for just a minute. Can we do that? Fasting, what, what is fasting? Fasting is um, it's giving up food intentionally. Intentionally giving up food on purpose with a purpose. I'm, I'm refraining from eating when I normally would for the purpose of, uh, of seeking the Lord and spending time with him instead. That's all it is. I'm going to take that time during dinner, and I'm going to give up dinner, and, and I'm going to go spend some time with the Lord. I'm going to give up a whole day's worth of meals, and I'm going to know it. <laughs> And, and each time, it's kind of like that uh, biological reminder, oh, it's time to pray. Uh, it, it's time for me to go and spend some time with the Lord. It, it's a spiritual discipline that actually forces me to remember uh, that I am completely dependent on the Lord. 
I know you can fast from other things, but, but I think uh, food is significant, and, and here's why. Because I uh, am dependent on food for survival. And so when I'm hungry, it's giving me this heightened awareness of how much I actually need him. Maybe, I don't know, maybe one of the reasons that we're not praying and fasting and, and, and praying fervently uh, like we should is because we don't feel like we need him. And maybe we don't feel like we need him because we're not living on mission for him. And if we're living for we're living for something else. I got something else that's on my mind. This is my priority. And, and honestly, if we're doing that, um, we're going to end up feeling empty. And, and so fasting also helps redirect my desire for satisfaction so that I would find it, not in food, but in him. That I would hunger for the Lord. I want him. I want to know him. I want to enjoy this relationship with God. So it, it, it fuels worship. You see, their fasting is fueling worship, which we already said, worship fuels the mission. So then here, in, in, in light of the job, the, this task that, that God has set before them, here they are just dropping to their knees and acknowledging to God, we can't do this. We're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything without you. Now, we don't necessarily have the same exact mission, the same exact uh, specific, uh, specificity, that's an awesome word, uh, that, that, that uh, Saul, Paul, and Barnabas have, but I think about the mission that we have. We just said it this morning, you know it, you memorized it. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples. We want to make disciples, right? But there's that part in there that we need to make sure that we don't lose. That's why we included it in our mission statement. We want to make disciples of what? Of all nations. Does that sound a little overly ambitious to anybody? I mean, that's, that's kind of big in scope, right? I mean, like, there are literally 7 billion people on the planet. Some people that like measure these things say that there's about 194 uh, countries in the world. There's over 16,000 people groups. I mean, Maybe we just overshot this thing a little bit like that. It kind of sounds unreasonable when we say it out loud like that. You know, let's, let's, let's just stick to Fairfax. We do that? Like, that sounds reasonable. Let's make our mission. We're going to make disciples in Fairfax. We can do that and kind of wrap our, our, our minds around what that would take. But honestly, the more we think about that, like, I mean, we're a church of just over 100 people, and it's, uh, in Fairfax County, there's over a million people. So, you know, that's a little daunting. Too. Why, let's do this. I'll tell you what. Let's narrow the goal to just making disciples of the people that we know currently. Can we do that? We can, I think we can handle that. But that's not the job Jesus gave us. I was like, yes, I want you to make the disciples of the people that are sitting right in front of you, but not just them. He says, I want you to make disciples of all nations. By very definition, that means places you've never been, people you've never even met, because they need to hear too. And we are called to go. Now, I don't know if I've made this point uh, sufficiently enough, but we can't do that on our own. No chance. And I think it's only when we really begin to truly appreciate that that we're going to pray like a dependent church. 
Uh, the minute you start to consider the scope of the mission and, and the urgency, because honestly, we don't have a lot of time. He's told us that. And, and the probability of opposition and the potential for persecution. <laughs> the more you think about it, you're like, I, I can't do this, God. Like, I, how am I supposed to do this? And that's when we drop to our knees and we seek the face of God. We realize we need him. Are we a dependent church? Are we praying uh, for, for God's specific leading and wisdom and enablement to accomplish the mission and, and to make disciples of all nations and plant churches? Are we praying for that? Are we a praying church and do we pray? Like if we don't ask God, it's not gonna happen. I tell you, this is why uh, we, you probably noticed this, on the first Sunday of every month, we do what we call a global partner spotlight. We just highlight uh, one of our other global partners that's doing this, and, and, and we spend time praying for them. A lot of times it's somebody that's in the Great Commission Collective, but it doesn't have to be that. It's those that are getting after the mission together and reminding us that we're part of something bigger than just this work. And we're thankful for what God has called us and our, our part of this, but we want to support and be a part of uh, global evangelism and, and seeing more churches planted for the glory of God. So every month we're going to take time. We gather right here, and I know it might feel weird to you, but man, we're, we're praying with dependency. God, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. And we want to be a part of that and use us. But we also care about what's going on right here. And so we, we also spend time, and we're learning to be dependent on God with our, our daily and our weekly needs. And so we, we've asked our prayer team to be available to, to pray after service uh, in, in the back with you. You've got something going on. We, we want to learn to depend on the Lord for these things. And the way that we do that is by praying, taking these things before him. And then next week, we, we decided, you know, it's time. We, we need to start a prayer meeting. So on the fourth Sunday of every month, we're going to gather together. We're going to get on our knees before the Lord. And we're, we're seeking his face. We're seeking his hand. We know we need God if we're going to pursue the mission. We have to be a dependent church. Let me give you the third characteristic, and then we're just going to kind of unpack this a little bit. We've got to be a worshiping church, a dependent church. And third, we need to be an ascending church. We need to be ascending church. Watch what happens. Verse 2. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So God does set some people, some believers apart for the specific work of going and planting. Let's, let's apply this to us though, okay? We want to live sent right here in Fairfax. God put us here. And, and, and so we want to. If we, we want to live sent where God has placed us, but if we want to make disciples of all nations then that means that at least some of us are going to have to go live sent someplace else. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And I know that God may send some of you, and I don't necessarily like that. I realize, and I don't really have much control over it, and maybe you don't either. Uh, the government or the military is going to send you out someday. I, honestly, it's all a part of God's divine uh, sovereign orchestration. Nothing takes him by surprise. He is working through all of that. And so while I don't always like having to say goodbye to you, we're trying to embrace that as a church and just recognize the opportunity, the unique opportunity that we have, the advantage that we can be ascending church. And so what that means is if you're here, then this is where God sent you, at least for now. So learn to live sent right here, right now. God wants to use you 
on mission in Fairfax and in Northern Virginia to advance the gospel through courageous evangelism and then building up this church, helping this church plant grow and so that we can be a part of and support global strategic church planting all around the world. And I know there might come a day where God's going to send you out. And I just want you to at least consider how you going can help support and encourage and be a part of planting new churches somewhere else. Live sent there. But learn to do it here first. Learn to live sent right where God has you and God may lead you somewhere else in the future and we'll trust him for that. But Barnabas and Saul had this specific uh, job, this task that, that the Holy Spirit had given them to do. And so verse three, verse three, we see them uh, after they were praying and fasting, right? They're depending on the Lord after this. It says they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Literally, they, they let them go. Let them go. And, and as exciting as that must have been, like, oh, we're like, sending people out. This is really cool. That, that still had to be kind of a painful goodbye. I mean, this, this, this was not like, hey, we'll see you in a couple weeks when you get back. This, this, this was going to take a while. This, this trip was going to be at least a year or two. But they start going strategically. And, and then we start to see the strategy unfold over Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. So I actually want to put the map up here. Uh, I want you to be able to see uh, what's going on. This is a map of Paul and Barnabas, we're going to call him Paul now, okay? Is that cool? Uh, we're, we're going to call him Paul, his first missionary journey. And, and you can see it starts out right here in Antioch. This is the starting point. And now I want you to see, as we're, as we're reading in the scriptures, what happens. I'm going to leave this up here. I want you to see verse 4. It says they went down to Seleucia. That's right here on the coast. And then they went to Cyprus, the, the whole island of Cyprus, which is kind of interesting because that's where Barnabas grew up. That's kind of strategic. They got some connections there. He knows some people. And apparently, uh, the island of Cyprus already had some believers, and they had previously sent missionaries to Antioch to get this work started. And now we see Antioch sending missionaries back to Cyprus. But here they are. They're still actually trying to reach people that have not yet been reached. Because look at what happens, verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, so here they are at the top there of the island of Cyprus. They arrived there, and the text says that they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. These are people that don't believe in Jesus yet. This is kind of strategic, and this kind of becomes Paul's uh, M.O. in this, because he realizes the first place I can go is the synagogue, because there's some common ground. They are literally opening up the scriptures. And so all he's going to do is just help them see that those scriptures that they're reading are actually pointing to Jesus. He's trying to help them. These are people that have not been reached with the gospel and then beyond the text that we've read for the next two chapters, we start seeing them on this missions trip. You can see they go down to Paphos and then up to Perga and then up to another Antioch. That's a different one, Antioch of Pisidia. And then Iconium and Lystra and, and, and Derby. And over chapters 13 and 14, we see them kind of spreading out here on this missionary journey. But I want to point something out. It's here in Derby, uh, right here. Notice, they don't continue on. They turn around and go back. And we start seeing a little bit of a new strategy start to unfold. And we realize that Paul is not just like, he's not just on some evangelistic crusade where he rolls into town and get a bunch of people saved and then pack it up and hit the road and leave them in the dust. And that's, that's not what's going on. 
Because in Derby, he turns around and, and goes back to the cities that they had visited. And, and then we start to see this strategy unfold. In fact, I've got this for you on the screen. I want you to see Acts chapter 14. I preached on this a year ago, but I want you to be able to see kind of a threefold strategy uh, that, that Paul is using to carry out the Great Commission. Here it is, Acts chapter 14. The first thing is they preached the gospel. Then they strengthened the souls of the disciples. And then the third thing is they appointed elders for them in every church. That's church planting. That's church planting. They're going to go into these strategic cities and, and, and proclaim the gospel to people that have never heard, people that have not been reached with this message, and they, they're trying to help them understand Jesus is the Savior. Salvation is found in him. And, and then as these people believe, then they, the second thing is they gather these new believers. You're a church now, and we're going to strengthen this church in the teaching of the word of God. But then we don't want to just leave them there. He appoints elders to watch over them, to, to care for them. So let me tell you what this means. This means that not only is church planting the logical conclusion in a strategy for making disciples of all nations, it's how the early church in the New Testament got after fulfilling the Great Commission. And that's why we are committed to pursuing it as well. They're, they're, they're propelled by their love for Christ, their desire to see Jesus glorified by all people. So they become a sending church and they send those out so that they can plant more churches where people are gonna worship Jesus too. But the first part of the strategy is that they're gonna send people uh, to go and, and, and preach the gospel to what, what missiologists would call unreached people groups. We've talked about this before, it's been a while. Unreached people groups are those who have never heard. They don't have a gospel witness. Generally, it just means there's not enough churches, there's not enough believers that can communicate the gospel clearly to this group of people, and that's what we see Paul doing. Paul goes to strategic cities where he knows there are unreached people groups. In fact, he prioritized that. Uh, I've got this one for you on the screen. This is Romans chapter 15. Here was Paul's strategy. He said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. Like, I want to reach this group of people, and, and we want to get a work started here. Once we've got a work started here, we're on to the next thing. Who's next? We want to keep this thing going. Because there's so much work that needs to be done. I want to tell you that it's the same today. And so if we're going to get after this, we want to make disciples of all nations, then we're going to have to actually prioritize unreached people groups as well. We're thinking through this. What does this mean for us? How do we do this? Wycliffe Bible Translators has estimated that there's uh, uh, about 160 million people that don't have access to any scripture in their heart language. None. There's 1.5 billion people without a full Bible in their first language. It's a lot of people. They don't get to do what we're doing right now. And the Southern Baptist International Mission Board has uh, estimated that there are over 7,000 unreached people groups. That represents 4 billion people. You do the math, there's only 7 billion people on the planet. That means most of the world is still yet unreached. Out of that, there are 3,000 groups that represent about 230 million people that we would call unengaged, meaning not only are they unreached, they don't have a clear gospel witness, but there is currently no strategy for actually getting it to them. 
We don't have a plan yet. I want to help you understand and be encouraged that, that progress is being made on this, but there's a lot of work that's got to happen. So what are we going to do about this? How can Fairfax Bible Church be a part of this? I've already told you, like, we, we don't currently have a specific, you know, person to, to send to a, a specific place to go plant a church. We don't, we, we, don't, we don't have that yet. But that doesn't mean that we can't be involved. In fact, in the New Testament, there, there, there were churches like the, like the Philippians, for example, that joined in and, and participated by supporting uh, Paul's work and, and other churches that would send people to go uh, take support and be an encouragement and just kind of networking together. We see that happening in the New Testament. They realize, like, we've got to get after this. We're, we're better at doing it together, which is why it's such a joy for us. This is why we partner and participate with the Great Commission Collective. We want to get after this, but we recognize, like, this is a tall task. But we want to do this with other like-minded churches that are ready to say, let's get after the mission together. But I want you to know, this, this is not just some, like, ho-hum, haphazard, like, uh, hopefully we'll get around to sending out some missionaries someday. There, there are things that we're trying to do right now. I, I, want to, I want to tell you about three things that we're doing right now to try to prioritize this. Two of them that we've committed to, one that I'm wrestling with, and, and I'm just going to confess I'm, I'm still praying about. One of them you know very well. The first is uh, our commitment to the church in Kuala Lumpur. We love the work that God is doing there. We got a chance to hear Pastor Nate Newell preach uh, here over the summer and, and, and are so thankful for the ministry that's there. That church is a six-hour plane ride from about 50% of the world's population, and, and it is some of the most unreached area of the world. What a strategic beachhead or, or doorway into uh, Asia and, and the Muslim world there. And so we want to partner with that church to make sure that's a strong, healthy, growing church that can help then reach more uh, of the unreached people groups in that part of the world. So we're committed to KL. But we're also, second thing is, we care about um, our community, our, our, uh, uh, the East Coast. When Carissa and I got into church planting, we were saying, like, we just want to be on the East Coast somewhere. People are flocking to the cities. The need is great. It's a little bit harder than where I grew up, out in the Bible Belt, out in the cornfields where everybody goes to church. Like, the need is great here. And so uh, we want to participate in works that are happening here on the cities in the East Coast. Well, there's a new work that has gotten started in Philadelphia. And y'all got a chance to meet uh, Pastor Darren Greenfield as he came and preached this summer. I got to tell you, I love that guy. And we had such an awesome connection. It was so encouraging to be able to uh, uh, spend some time with him this summer. And, and they just planted and, and launched uh, their church in an urban community in West Philadelphia. It's not like our community. It's a lot different. Uh, but their needs are great. And so uh, for us, we're just excited in 2020, we're going to be financially supporting and getting on, uh, on board to help participate in the work uh, of that church plant there in Philadelphia, Christ-centered church. Thankful for that. It's an awesome opportunity. But the third thing is we care about this community. We're thinking about D.C. and Northern Virginia. The needs are great here. I am told that 80% of the churches in the D.C. metro, 80% of the churches in the D.C. metro are either plateaued or declining. Not growing at all, losing people, and they have not baptized one person in the last five years. Churches are shutting their doors. We're not keeping up 
People are moving in. We're not keeping up with the population increase. We're not keeping up with the amount of people that are leaving the church. Like, we need more churches. We need churches that are going to center on the word of God, that are going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus and, and worship him. And I was doing a little bit of research this week. Uh, there's an organization called Global Gates that was helpful on this. Uh, they say they define an unreached people group as an ethno-linguistic group, and they're mainly measuring groups that are at least 5,000 people or more in a concentrated area. Uh, and, uh, an unreached people group is less than 2% evangelical, meaning they're basically just lacking churches and lacking Christians that can clearly communicate the gospel to that group of people. And they estimate that there are over 250 unreached people groups in North America, and four of them are right here in Fairfax County. So it's groups like uh, our, our Pakistani friends and the Turks and Persians and the Afghanis. That represents, if I'm doing the math right, it, it represents about 100,000 people in our community that are coming kind of from, from a, a Muslim background. A lot of Persian, Afghani need there. Well, it just so happened, and I've been wrestling with sharing some of this with you, but uh, this last year, we, I made a new friend. Uh, we had a, a Persian pastor show up at our church one Sunday, randomly. And he showed up because he heard that we had taken a missions trip to Kuala Lumpur where we were trying to reach Iranians and, and share the gospel with the Persian people. He heard that and wanted to come meet us and, 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 and see what we were doing. And so I got the chance to connect with him and go out to dinner with him and his wife. And I'm telling you, what a, they're just a dear couple. And, and this, this couple is driving from New Jersey every single weekend all the way here to help pastor a, a Farsi-speaking church in Herndon that's reaching Persians and Afghanis. And the biggest thing they need help with is helping disciple people. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what that looks like. And, and, and I, I don't know if there's an opportunity for us there. But I want to tell you, just, I'm just confessing to you, I've been praying about that for a couple months now. And, and here's what I've been praying. I've been praying that God would give us wisdom for a few things. One, I'm praying that God would make it clear if, how, who, and when we should get involved in that. Like, Lord, just lead us. I don't know what that's going to look like, but and there's an opportunity with unreached people groups right in our backyard. Would you at least pray about that with me? You know, we would just ask the Lord to make some, give, give some clarity. If there really is an opportunity for us to jump in there and be a support and be a help to that work. I don't know what God is going to do, but let me just say it this way. I hope that you're hearing our hearts in this. This isn't just some like theoretical, yeah, we'll get to it eventually. We are pursuing the mission. And so we are going to be dependent on, on the Lord here. And we want to be a sending church so that more people will come to worship him too. And we're just trusting that God is going to do greater things than he already has. Amen? Father, I pray that you would give us clarity. I, I pray that, again, you would uh, stir a passion for Jesus, stoke the fire of our hearts so that we want you more than anything. 
and so that we want you to get the glory. We want more people to know that you are the Savior and, and there's no God like you. And, then, and out of that, out of hearts that truly worship you and long for you to get the glory and to be worshiped, that, that we would see churches that are planted that are going to do just that. They're going to get on their knees and pray fervently with us. They're going to open up their Bibles and preach the word of God boldly. They're going to passionately worship Christ. They're going to purposefully make disciples, courageously evangelize their communities. And we could be a part of joining them in strategic church planting. God, we're doing this. Uh, I'm hoping that this is just kind of stirring a, a, a passion in our hearts for your glory and also just clarifying what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. So Lord, I pray in all of this that you would do greater things than you already have and we'll give you the praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.